0: Guys, hope you guys are doing super well. Hope you guys are off to a fantastic day, man. Do we have a, a sick, sick live stream for you guys? Uh, I'm going to be interviewing Matt Masters, aka the Smoky Bandit, uh, who works FIFO so lives the FIFO lifestyle, but he's an emergency services and uh, mine rescue coordinator. So, uh, as I was kind of touching on in my Instagram chat, if you're coming from FIFO Fit. This dude is next level. He's got some he's got a pretty badass Instagram that you guys definitely have to check out. I'm always fascinated at how many niche roles there is and and what it actually takes to run operations of this size. Like the mining and resource industry is absolutely insane. It's 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 massive and it employs so many different fascinating people uh, throughout the uh, throughout the industry, right? Really really specific and niche roles. And uh, and as I was, if you guys have watched the live stream or the uh, listened to the podcast I did with Narissa, there are some you know some incredibly challenging environments, some incredibly desolate environments that uh, make it incredibly challenging for people to uh, like. There are some serious health and safety issues, and so you have to have some uh, really incredible people put in place to not just keep people out of harm's way, but also at the same time to literally save lives in some of the most crazy conditions, like seriously crazy conditions. So before we jump into things, guys, it's so important that you like, comment, and subscribe regardless of where you're consuming this content from. I don't care. Make sure that you're uh, hooked into the FIFO Fit podcast show because this show is all about mastering your health and fitness on FIFO. I am committed to ensuring that every single person in the mining and resource industry, gas and oil, you name it, has a clear path to mastering their health and fitness. That's so important to me. So, my name is Cam Wild. I'm your host here on the Five and Fit podcast show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy episode number six because we've got a sick one in store for you super pumped to have you on board here because i really wanted to learn more about you know what the hell is a mine rescue coordinator mine rescue trainer you know what is emergency response team right like and what role do they really play uh when it comes to the the mining and uh, resource industry and i'm super fascinated about that because you're not just uh you know you're not just putting your life on the line but you're doing some incredible stuff behind the scenes. That's really innovating the industry, which is, you know, something that I really want to go into uh, with you as well. But uh, super pumped to have you on board. And I think the first thing that I wanted to ask is, how did you come to be a uh, mine rescue coordinator? How did you come to be one of the top trainers in uh, in mine rescue and emergency services? Winning some pretty incredible uh, placings and positions recently at a Merck event, but how did you get to where you are? How does Matt Masters become Matt Masters? Yeah, sure. It's a it's a good question. I,
1: I don't really know to be honest. Um, it it kind of all just just happened. I, I think I was walking around, um, walking around the farm down in in Pemberton or the winery down in Pemberton one year, and I I just kind of had a bit of a a bit of enough of it, and I, I wanted to get back to the city. So I um. I decided to go mining and, and try my luck here. I, I started at the mine site I'm on now um, in 2008, uh, sorry, 2009. Um, and I came in at, at the lowest rung. So I, I was uh, in a place called the core shed where I was cutting up core samples and, and that that the drillers would bring in. Um, and I mm-hmm. uh, in that time here, I, I kind of discovered this thing called a an ER team and an industrial response team and, and I I transferred some existing skills over to that and spent three years just getting my my industrial skills up here on site. Uh, a bit of an underground time in there as well. Um, and then I landed a job with a with a full-time firm and, and went out to the Pilbara and, and other places and kind of just honed some skills and and really focused on on the the, the mines rescue cliche and what that meant. Um and then, uh, yeah, I, I had a contract there that ended and, and ended up looking for some training work uh, just because at the time it was lucrative and, and I needed the change. I wanted to impart the things that I'd learnt on on people that were in my position when I first started, you know. So um, it kind of came from there. I ended up working for a, for a pretty significant training company, training organisation, um, which I've recently left. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I was taking... English as a second language teams through mines rescue,
0: underground rescue, surface rescue, competitions, things like that. Was this offshore when you're saying you're taking people with English as a second language? Were you working overseas? Yes, yeah, so I spent uh,
1: the last three months, um, or I spent three months on a, on a 2 and 2 roster in and out of Papua New Guinea. Wow. Training a, a local mine rescue group over there, um, all nationals. And, you know, it has the challenges We're we're very different people. We have very different cultures, very different mining culture as well. So um, there were things that we were using that they had in their, in their um, skill set that they just they weren't actioning properly. So we kind of went over there to, to shape it up a bit.
0: Yeah, wow. Tell me a little bit about what an ERT is. Like, break down exactly what makes up an ERT. So there's a few
1: ways it can happen. Um, a few of the bigger sites have got full-time ERTs. Um, a mate of mine works on one for one of the, the bigger oil and gas companies in the country and they're, they're a full-time response team. It's where I came from originally um, in a situation like that where these guys sit on site, they, they um, basically get paid to respond as, as per the fireys that we see in town and, and we associate with civilian world. Um, and then we have it like we, we have it out here and that's where we're predominantly made up of volunteers. Um, so one day a week we had our training yesterday, the guys will come in, we'll conduct a training based on, on what our risks are on site. Um, and you know, we, we train them up over the year. They do, they do competencies and courses in rescue and they they have full-time jobs here on site. Um, generally engineers, or it can be anything engineers, um, right through to, to like where I started, you know, and, and fairly, um, simple surface tasks and, and jobs and things like that. Um, Look, they they do 12-hour days on shift like anybody else. Um, Should the button get pressed and and the need for us to respond is there, we we give the call, put the call out and and whoever turns up, we we kind of manage that skill set and go and do the job, you know. So these guys got a a lot on their plate in terms of managing their normal jobs and and then
0: managing me when I I start getting a bit excited and, and get on top of them, you know. Yeah. No kidding. What's a day-to-day life like for emergency response? Look, so for me now, uh, in the coordinated sort of role, um, it,
1: it, I'd love to say it's all about the glory and, and the honor and, and that, but it, look, it's really not. It's, um, for us, we we operate in a, in a circle of legal compliance. Um, and a lot of that is, a lot of my days is ensuring that, that we are legally compliant to operate. Um, and in that, hand in hand with that comes in the safety of everybody else on site as well. So, and our response capabilities. So, we run off off an acronym PPRR. Um, and for us, and a lot of guys that that will watch this will know what that is. But look, our prevention and our preparedness is is our number one core goal for for people in my position. Um, we get to the response and recovery a little bit later. But our our prevention and preparedness is is number one, and that's that's my role basically. Every every near miss that that is just that a near miss. I feel like we've done our job a little bit better, being our prevention of that actually occurring or transferring into a, a real blown scenario. So that's where I sit. Um, with that comes my station as well. Keep my station online, uh, making sure all the boys are are all good and they're all online. So you know, making sure their training's up to date and, and they're ready to go
0: if we need to. Um, and managing our on-call lists and who's going to respond when we need to, you know. Over your time in the industry, what would you say have been the two most interesting things that you've learned as part of the team? I've, I've actually got some notes here on this question because <laughs> I, I really
1: thought that question was great. So <laughs> I, I really love seeing ERT members who we, we asked to do these things um, without them necessarily fully grasping what it means when when something does happen you know and and what that can mean for them mentally and emotionally as well down the line and physically in in our training campaigns we do we do firefighting just like the the government firefighters do we do underground search and rescue with live fire and vehicle accidents all that sort of stuff the best thing that i've learned is that the least the person you least expect can overcome their personal insecurities and can build themselves and develop themselves to be one of your, your greatest assets, you know. I see I don't want to sound sexist, but I, I see girls that come onto our crew and, and in my training environment that, you know, by by the end of a six day course, they're a completely different person. You know, and they're doing things that, that some guys wouldn't do, you know, and it's it's that's probably one of the interesting things I've learnt is the development of, of the person of the individual um, and their skill set. To, to become this totally different person, you know, and this experienced something that not a lot of people get to experience. So that's one of the,
0: the key ones that I've learned is that... Uh, that's amazing. So, so you're saying that by going through the, the course, you're saying that they, in order for them to actually complete it, what, who goes in at the start of the course is a completely different person that comes out on the other end. hundred percent. hundred percent. We've, we've got, wow. we got people going into live fire
1: scenarios upwards of 800 to, to 1300 degrees, you know, and we, we throw these people in there um, and teach them how to deal with it, you know, and, and they do. Anyone who goes through that sort of experience and comes out the other end is completely different, completely
0: different. Wow. Mm. And what do you put that down to? Is it just, is it just a, a, like, such brutal training that they go through? Is, is, it, is it physically or more mentally? Help, help me better understand what it is that really has this a completely different person on the back end. Look, I, th- I think it's the self-achievement. It's the self-goals. Um,
1: it's, mm. it's taking a situation that they never would find themselves in and going, yeah, I can do this. And we, we literally push them in there. Um, and once they've dealt with it and they realize it's not as bad as they think, when they come out of it, they've, they've developed this whole mindset of what risk is and, and how to to justify what they're doing. And, and, you know, it's it's the same old thing, you know, it's like when you go skydiving or bungee jumping, you, you, you're you really scared at the start, but you do it and all you want to do is keep doing it. You know, it's the same sort of concept. So they really do develop as a, as a person at the end of it.
0: What are some of the biggest risks that you guys face on a day-to-day basis when you're doing any kind of search and rescue on the job? Yeah. Look, obviously, there's there's all the physical side to it. There's all the threat to
1: us as, as respondents, right, and and all the dangerous situations. We go in when everyone else is coming out. But our biggest risk here on site, and, and it leads into your, your fitness side of things, is pre-existing health conditions. You know, that's that's one of our biggest risks here on site. And we all know a, an unhealthy lifestyle can lead to uh, unhealthy habits at work and, and, and potentially medical conditions that are unforeseen. So... That's probably one of our greatest risks is the human element. And, you know, we combat that in, in any way we can. The risk to us personally and, and how I view a risky situation for my guys and sending them in is if I haven't given them the tools to do the job correctly. And that comes down to training and, and knowledge and all that sort of stuff. If we're asking a young engineer to go to a road crash and he might not be prepared for that, then he's going to carry that with him the rest of his life. and if I haven't prepared him and I haven't given him the tools, then that's that's a pretty risky situation for us because we've, we've now got some pretty heavy issues we've got to deal with, you know. Um, so to take away 100%. from the, the hero mentality and the glory of it, all our stuff comes down to am I willing to send these guys in to do something that they might not be trained to do? Um, and the, the fact of the matter is that, that that's our biggest risk. You know, we, we have a transient workforce and, and they're all different
0: skill levels. So... That affect us greatly on the job. What are some certain scenarios or instances that, or situations that you know, one of these guys or one of your team would find themselves in that they need to be, you know, they need to be on top of their physical game and mental game to be able to perform? Yeah, look, un- underground is a big one for us. Um, during a, a, a course
1: period of six days, um, and the, the further training that we do over the course of the year, uh, underground is certainly the biggest physically demanding job that we do um, we we train for the worst um, and we really push the guys it's it's one of the most grueling courses in the industry um, and you know again it's surprising you get the smallest guy who's who makes it through the end you get the biggest strongest toughest guy and he's you know he's kind of uh, fading halfway through you know but we ask these people to do their normal day job and then be physically fit and capable to potentially stomp up and down a mine, underground mine, with 30 kilos worth of gear on them plus a stretcher in an environment where they can't breathe and they can't see.
0: So to say you don't have to be physically able to do that is... Can you give us an example of, of one of these environments, an example of a scenario that these guys would find themselves in? Yeah, so particularly here we've we've got pretty good get ground
1: conditions and ground solidarity, I suppose. But in in terms of underground mine, if we have a, a truck fire on the decline, so the decline is a section of the mine that that is the main travel route in and out. Okay, and we we send trucks that are the size of a house under the in these tunnels, um, and the risk for us would be one of those getting hot brakes, hot turbo, and, and catching fire um, anywhere in the mine. It could be within the first couple of hundred meters, it could be on a drive halfway down, or it could be at the bottom, you know, 900 meters to a thousand meters underground. Um, wow. That for us is, is pretty, pretty intense. Uh, we would activate a team and we would send, send them in, provided they were safe. Um, and the mine structure itself wasn't compromised. But uh, generally it's walk in, walk out sort of stuff. So we're in a, a one in seven uh, ratio decline. On most of the mine here, yeah. and and it's uh, pack a stretcher with about a hundred kilos worth of gear in it, and walk down the mine, put a breathing apparatus on, um, that lasts
0: anywhere from one to four hours. Um, Stomping it out, that's how it is. And so you guys go in. You guys are in there for one to four hours. Yeah,
1: yeah. Generally, we'd
0: be in a breathing apparatus, self-regenerative breathing apparatus,
1: um, in an underground environment for. You know, we train two and a half hours, and it's, it's wow. just stomping around down ladderways, up ladderways, uh, all
0: throughout the mine. Wow! And you have a twenty-kilogram pack on your back. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. They're about sixteen and a half kilos. Wow! And so, and you're you're doing all this physical work, climbing up, climbing down, and you've got all this gear on as well. Yeah, man. How important is staying hydrated? Oh, it's look, it's huge. You know, um, <laughs> hydration
1: before, hydration after is massive. Um, Some parts of the mine are, are, you know, 30 degrees wet bulb temperature. Um, You know, it's pretty hard to hydrate when you've got a breathing apparatus on, you can't drink water. Mm. Um, So there's nil by mouth except for the oxygen you're breathing. So, you know, you've got potentially got two hours stomping around
0: down there with with no fluids, no food, no nothing. That's that's full on bro. You have to be so, the physical fitness level of this, you have to be at your absolute peak, right? It's not just about doing a lot of physical work, it's about, like, it be, you are that team, so if one of your guys falls down or can't keep up, then you have to, like, you're the ones who are going to have to pull that person out.
1: Correct, yeah, so we take precedent over all else, um, and our guys are number one. So if we, if we have someone go down halfway through, um, then we abort mission and, and we, we look after our own first and foremost. Um, and then return yeah. to work when we can. What
0: has been the scariest moment in your, in your career when it comes to uh, emergency response? It, it's, a, it's a really hard question. My, my career over the last
1: six months is, has been pretty tame. Um, yeah, But, uh, you know, in saying that, I mean, whenever, you, whenever we're, we're putting or asking people to go into a situation which is life-threatening, um, and we do it a lot, it's, it's always pretty pretty hairy, and there's always that moment of, it, have I done all my checks and balances, and it, and if I hurt this poor this poor student, um, you know, how am I going to feel about that, and, and am I doing everything right, you know, so, I've had a few instances where we've melted helmets, and melted uh, protective firefighting gear, uh, on students inside structure fires, and things like that, in a training scenario, and that gets pretty, you know, you've got to cool them down pretty quick, and and that gets pretty hectic. But yeah.
0: Um, yeah, in terms of my career lately, it's been it's been pretty pretty easy. Pretty pretty, good. pretty tame. You know, obviously you're frontlining the training on this: how to keep the guys at the very top of their game, how to uh, how to manage risk, how to reduce harm. And uh, with te- as technology has been developing, and uh, you know, there's been some really unique pieces of equipment that is joining different kind of workforces, and in particular. Um, you were telling me a little bit about how you're now incorporating drones into the emergency response units or the emergency response teams in order to do just that, reduce harm and uh, and make sure that you you have a more complete, efficient team. So I would love to learn a little bit more about this as to you know, how you're innovating the uh, the industry.
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, for, I guess I'll start at the beginning. For me, it, it, it started with a an observation around security protocols on, on remote mine sites. Um, and I thought about how we would get autonomous flight around the, the the perimeter of a mine site to do all the security checks. Um, and it kind of developed from there to, um, this whole, this huge beast of writing training plans and procedures and, going to CASA and and organisations to try and figure out what we could get away with and what we couldn't. Um, And over the last 12 months, uh, my cousin and I have developed the program, which is a cyclical airline program designed for emergency responders to use drones. Um, There's a few people doing them around the world, um, but no one's really focusing on how how we teach the rescuer to fly their drone effectively in the environment. so we've kind of nailed that down. We've, we've got a really good course put together to do that. Um, and look, it's all, the, the evidence is there. It's all preserving and saving life, you know, and That's that's what we're about. So,
0: um, so uh, and actually on that, you were telling me a really interesting story. And actually, I, I was reading this on your website as well, how implementing a drone into the team or as part of the team has, uh, there was a really interesting instance about uh, one of the, the units about to send a couple of guys into a life or death situation because they thought there were, uh, they, were they thought there were kids on the other side of this, this flame. Can you explain that story to us?
1: Yeah, so that came from a, a joint venture between DJI, which is the really recognized these days, household name, um, yeah, and the EENA, which is the European Emergency Number Association. And they they worked together with a number of uh, response guys from all over Europe to work a team in that was a specific specific uh, response team. So you would call the fireys and the fireys would call the drone response team. Um, and they would fly out and they'd investigate the scene and they'd investigate what was going on. So in this particular case, they had a major hazard incident and they had reports of three kids um in like a vacant lot or a block next to it, and they they would have to have sent their, their rescue crews in through the scene as, as safely as they could to check out whether these kids were there. Um, within a couple of minutes, the drone guys arrived and they basically assessed the area and said, look, there's nobody there. We've thermal image cameraed it. We've uh, used flurries, the whole lot. We've done a big search grid. There's no one there, so let's not commit our guys to, to a threat that doesn't exist. Um, and in mm-hmm. turn what that did for the safety of those rescuers is, is, is paramount. You know, that's, that's the main reason we do this stuff. So
0: really interesting. Report. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just, that's just one of many examples where you can really, where you can really think of how important and how critical it is to have like, you know, technology like this to put uh, the technology in harm's way and not even that, but just to use it to be able to assess the risks that are there, if there are any or not. Uh, to minimize the uh, uh, minimize any harm to uh, you know humans or part of the you know, the team right I think that's I was really really fascinated when I learned about that I'm like it just makes sense and we have the technology now to do that so it's great to see that uh, in any industry it's great to see the innovation it's great to see that you're you're using your skills obviously and what you know about the environment being an expert in your space top of the range because I want to I actually wanted to ask you about the uh, competition that you guys placed. I think you said second place, which is incredible, incredible. And I was speaking to someone the other day who, when I brought it up, they were like, yeah, that's a full-on competition. So tell me a little bit about what it actually takes to uh, uh, actually talk about the competition. Tell me about this, uh, the Mine Emergency Rescue Competition. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Mine Emergency Response Competition, yeah, or the MERC for short. So look, what it is, it, it was the biggest one this year. They um, had 18 teams, all volunteers, um, from mine sites and government departments, um, and there's a scenario set up in every one of our competencies, and, and the guys are basically thrown in the deep end and, and told to go and respond to it, and they get uh, scored on team safety, or everything from team safety through to their basic skills and medical as well. so. Um, over the weekend, I, I think they did about eight scenarios and you know the, the the prep time that goes into it's huge these guys Our guys train for two weeks before before heading to the comp and they do a week of, of intense medical, right? Because medical is our is our number one if, if we can treat the casualty then we've, we've won half the battle, you know So you know they do a week of medical and then a week of their fine training skills and that's rope rescue confined space rescue uh, vehicle accident, mass casualty, first aid, um, and firefighting, all that sort of stuff, hazmat as well. So it, it's really good. It's busy, huge weekend for them. Um, and they train really, really long and hard for it. So we select a group of guys. Some had been in it before and some it was their first year this year. So next year we'll do the same thing and we'll, we'll select new guys again. You know, It's put on in Pull Perth, on. full public event,
0: anyone can see. And like I said, it was 18 teams, so it was, it was a huge event. Yeah, I wanted to ask you: Are there any questions, or is there anything that you think is important for uh, people out there to know? Because I know obviously your team is made up of volunteers. How would someone? How does someone get into uh, emergency response or emergency rescue? How, you know, what steps do they take if they were interested in volunteering? Look, I think the first one,
1: regardless of the industry you work in, sometimes you have to be lucky, and it's more depicted by the area you work in. So. Uh, or sorry, the area you live in. So look, if you want to get into it and you're in the civilian workforce, um, any DFES volunteer station will, will accept you and, and it's worth getting into. Those guys are, are the subject matter experts and it's a great place to start. Um, other organisations we have like the SES, State Emergency Services, um, you know, and it's all it all depends where you live in, in Perth or your, or your major city, but they're the two that, that you should have a go at. Um, on a mine site, it's it's a little bit different. Um, all you gotta do is put your hand up, um, come in and see us, and and or somebody like me, and and we basically fill out the paperwork and make sure it's okay with your boss, and, and we get the ball rolling. You know, it's not a big scary thing that that we can't join. It's it's really accessible these days, and I'd encourage, encourage everybody to have a go at it. Um, whether you're on a mine site or at home, St John Ambulance is a great place to start as well. Um, it, it's also important to to be part of the community, the broader community, and give back to it. So, yeah, the, the best way to do it is just go DFES, um, St John's, SES. If you're on a mine site, go and knock on the door of the coordinator and, and sign up because you'll you'll learn some skills that you you've never even fathomed before. So it's really important.
0: Where can people go to learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, so for for me and and what
1: we do, I mean. Is um, obviously all the social medias. The the Smoky Bandit is uh, is who I am, and and in terms of our, our drone innovation stuff, we're at um, Rescue AV, and we we launched the website this morning. Um, so it look, it's looking it's looking really positive. It's looking fresh and and professional. So we're pretty happy with it. Um, and that's right. RescueAV dot com um, Other Facebook pages you can get interested in is is anything to do with mine emergency response. Uh, There's a really good Western Australia page on there uh, and an Australasian page as well. So the guys could just jump on and and connect with me through there. Obviously, also LinkedIn as well.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your time so much. I also appreciate the work that you do in the community. Um, Tough gig. Uh, but incredibly valuable, and important, uh, and important for what you do. And then also, I, I uh, am fascinated in what you're doing and how you're looking to innovate the industry and really uh, help to, as we were touching on uh, before, save save the lives of not just people in, in harm's way, but the, the lives of you know the people who are there to be put into harm's way if required. So I think that's really, I think it's really noble, bro. And I think it's. Uh, uh, I think it's a really incredible gig that you're, uh, you're running there. So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, jump on the show and, and uh, share with us your knowledge about what's going on. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, having a chat with you later. Yeah, excellent, mate. Anytime. And, and thanks for
1: having us on and just building awareness around what we're, we're doing here and, and what we're asking guys, everyday men and women, to go and do. You know, it's, it's important that people understand what that means to us and, and the community as well. So, yeah, appreciate it, mate. Thanks. Anytime, bro.
0: Have a great one and I'll speak to you later. You too, mate. We'll chat soon.